preach, don't you? I told the young people this morning, I said, you do realize how, how big a deal that is. It's a huge deal. Um, Brother Glenn, I want you to know I love you and I appreciate you more than you may ever know. You're the one who gave me opportunity and I know God did that in you, but um, without, without you, I wouldn't be here. And so I appreciate you. Thank you so much. If you have a Bible tonight, turn to the book of Acts chapter number 1, excuse me, chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, I'll get there myself and we'll begin to look on a very, very familiar subject. Uh, As stated in weeks gone by, Brother Glenn, leading us up to revival, um, revival will bring about an apparent awareness to the holiness of God. Uh, An apparent awareness to the holiness of God in my text tonight uh, it seems to be the first renewal uh, in the church to God's holiness. You know, they, they hadn't been going long, but there's a, a, nece- a necessity, a need uh, for the holiness of God to be brought back to the very forefront of the people. And so uh, we see that. And uh, church, we do realize tonight that before revival will come to the church house, it's got to come to my house. Before revival is going to come here, it's got to come in your life and in your house. And before that takes place, we've got to be reminded, aware of the holiness of God. So look at Acts chapter number 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. The Scripture says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. That was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together? To test the Spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Church, you do know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Tonight I'm going to preach to you on this subject. Judgment on deception. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this night. God, we thank You for this privilege now to open Your Word. And God, I acknowledge before You and before men, God, every good and perfect gift comes from above. God, You gave me this opportunity tonight through the hands of Your servant, our pastor. Now, God, I thank You for the privilege tonight. God, I have one desire tonight that I'd be a benefit to your kingdom. God, I pray that in this moment, God, that you would use me as a vessel of honor to bring glory unto your great namesake 
And God, to help somebody in your body tonight. God, I pray most of all, if there's one here tonight lost, doesn't know Christ, God, I pray that tonight they would meet that sweet forgiveness face to face and that they would be born again and they would be wrapped in the arms of the love of the Son of God tonight. God, we thank you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 19.9 says this, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. As Acts chapter number 4 closes, we meet a man named Joseph. Some translation, Joseph, all right? And so he is absolutely sold out to Jesus Christ. He has been supernaturally charged by the Spirit of God and has become a conduit of blessing, uh, of blessings to the early church. And so the Scripture says that this man was a Levite who owned some property. You find him there at the end of chapter number 4. And, and so he, he owned some property on the island of Cyprus. Uh, once Joseph became a believer in Jesus Christ, his love for the Lord and the, his love for the church influenced him to sell his property and, be, and bring the proceeds and lay them at the apostles' feet. The monetary value is not mentioned, uh, but whatever the gift was, it was such an encouragement to the apostles that they changed his name to Barnabas. King James Version renders that the son of consolation. New King James says the son of encouragement. In the Greek, it's a very interesting word consolation is to me uh, because it is akin to the word that is used in the Scripture for the Holy Spirit. And so right away that tells me that Barnabas looked so much like Jesus and was so evidently led by the Spirit of God uh, that those in authority changed his name to a name that every time you called it, they thought about the gift of God in the Comforter who is the Holy Ghost now living in their heart. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful thing to think? Can't you hear them calling his name? Barnabas, Barnabas, every time they call it, thinking about the sweet spirit of God. That's a a wonderful thought right there. And what a blessing Barnabas must have been. Uh, I want to ask you right now, right off the bat, how many of us tonight would have anybody say anything like that about us? That we looked so much like the Holy Spirit, they were willing to change our name to one that every time you heard it called, make you think about God. Most of us, if we'd be truth be told, look more like an unholy spirit than the Holy Spirit. And so we see right away some great truth right there at the end of Acts chapter number 4. As Acts chapter 5 begins, listen, we see a great example of how the enemy of God attempts to steal God's glory in a moment. Uh, The early church is thriving. The believers are walking in one accord. Souls being added to the church daily. Supernatural divine activity is taking place and the devil is not happy about it. Uh, So what does he do? He does what he always does. He puts a counterfeit in the midst to try and take away from what God is doing. Friend, listen to me. Uh, you, you, you do realize that you're in a church that once a counterfeit is identified, that the shepherd's going to take, take the Word of God and drive you out, don't you? I mean, you say, well, that never happened here. Friend, it'll happen anywhere that the devil can take opportunity in your life to do it. He'll use whoever he can, whenever he can. And so you better be on guard in your own life to know that the enemy wants to use you to hinder what God wants to do. And so as we begin to look at the, tonight at the subject of judgment on deception, I want to be very clear right off the bat. Uh, The spirit of deception that dwells in the heart and lives of many is straight out of the pit of hell. You understand that? John 8, 44, Jesus speaking to a crowd of Jews. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. Listen, when he speaketh a lie, 
He speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You're here tonight and you've got a problem with lying. Friend, can I tell you something? You need to get saved. If you're a habitual liar, then, then friend, listen, the Bible is plain. The truth will set you free. Jesus said, I, the truth is what will set an individual free. You shall know the truth and it will set you free. But if you can't tell the truth, friend, you're deceived. The truth's not in you. And so we understand that for an individual to come to faith in Christ, he got to forsake his old ways, right? You say, no, I'm saved. I just have a problem with lying. No, sir, if you're saved, you'd quit lying. So quit lying. If Jesus is Lord. And so there's nothing more repulsive to the Lord than a deceitful believer. Did you hear me? Deceitful believer. That is one who outwardly looks good, but inwardly is full of deceit. That, we'd call that a hypocrite, wouldn't we? That's what we call it. Uh, those individuals, they have one agenda, that is themselves and their own good, and God hates that. And so as we look back in our text, Acts chapter 5, verse number 1, right away, we see the family that was involved. Acts 5 verse 1 again says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. Right away we see this man and his direction. Ananias, a name, his name means Jehovah has graciously given. He may have been a very wealthy man at the very least. He, it seems he had a very valuable possession. In fact, the word used here for possession can mean estate. And so uh, perhaps Ananias had been the heir of, a, of wealthy parents or maybe he was a, just a well-to-do in the business world. Whatever the case may be, deception shows its ugly head in his life. And when Barnabas gave his gift... And the apostles took to him, perhaps that influenced jealousy in his life and in his heart. And so he having a possession, he comes up with a scheme to appear to be as spiritual as others. And so he sells that thing and he brings the proceeds and lays it at the apostles' feet, just like old Barnabas had done. You see where jealousy and greed's coming into play right here. Can I say to you tonight, jealousy will always lead you to do dirty things. It absolutely will. And by the way, if you're jealous of an individual in the house of God, in the body of Christ tonight, friend, I want to say to you, you may be the one who's preventing the blessing of God from coming. When your pride influences you to become greedy for the glory that is God's, friend, you'll find yourself doing things that are of the devil. And that's exactly, that's exactly where Ananias and Sapphira are. This man is leading his wife to do something they both know is wrong and will soon regret. Now to all the men in the house tonight, I want to say to you, if you're married or soon to be, you better remember that where you lead your wife, most of the time, she'll follow you. And if you lead her off in the ditch of sin, friend, not even a tow truck will be able to pull her out whenever you get done. Do you hear what I'm saying? Where you lead her, most of the time, she'll follow you. But friend, if you'll lead her in the ways of righteousness per the Scripture, pray the Lord will give you a woman who will be faithful and love you as a lifelong companion. Now, it's not always that way. But I tell you one thing, you've got a better chance that way than you do the other way. Amen? Uh, when Miss Candy and I, we, we married, we were both lost and we lived like it. I mean, we, we were lost. We, we were just we'd lost. And so I got saved before she did. God lit a fire in my heart, started doing things in my life. He called me to preach. And, and, and she said, I didn't marry no preacher. She did. She was lost. She didn't care. She didn't know. 
her, her figure of a preacher's wife was an a, a, a old woman sitting on the front row with a big bonnet on her head. You know what I mean? She said, I, that ain't me. Well, she said, I didn't marry no preacher. I said, God didn't call, I, I didn't ask God to call me to preach. That's what I told her. But I was going to do what God had called me to do. And as I started following the Lord, He started changing my life. And it wasn't long. Within a matter of months, my wife was bowing beside our bedside, praying to receive Christ. Very first person, very first person I ever led to the Lord was my wife. Praise God. Thank God for that. Ananias, he could have led his wife to the Lord and to the truth, but instead he chose a lie. So we see this man in his direction, but notice, secondly, the wife with no objection. The wife with no objection. We have no report of any rebuttal whatsoever from this man's wife. She just seems to go with the flow. In fact, in verse number 9, Peter discerns that they have agreed together. Uh, That word in the Greek, Brother Steve, it's the word we get our word symphony from. It means, uh, it suggests a harmony of purpose. And no doubt they talked about the benefits of a scheme like this, thinking uh, perhaps it would gain them great reputation, great popularity in the church. And so uh, Miss Sapphira just seems to go right along with her man. Ladies in the room, just like speaking to the men, I want to suggest to you that it's here you find uh, the the importance of uh, uh, finding a godly man, one who's going to lead you to the Lord. Amen? And so if you don't marry a man of God, you may find yourself in the same situation as Miss Sapphira. Now, Now listen. If you do, and you're a child of God, you have one obligation to stand against ungodliness. To stand... With the Lord. You say, I thought the, the wife was supposed to submit to her husband. She is 100% as unto the Lord. Do you hear me? The Lord's not going to ask you to do something contrary to His Word. And if some backslidden bum or devil in disguise attempts to lead you down the path of destruction, you better keep yourself on the straight and narrow or else you may pay the price. Just like she does. And so we see the man in his direction, the woman with no objection... Thirdly, we must consider the children who are not mentioned. Uh, We do not know if these had children or not. We don't even know how long they had been married. But unless the Lord had shut up Sapphira's womb, no doubt there may have been some children floating around. And if there were, we must consider how they might have been affected by this incident as well. And while children do not pay the eternal consequences of their parents' sin, we do know that they do suffer from the physical consequences of their family's sin. Young or old tonight, I want to say to you, man, we, what we do today will affect our family down the road. And every father in the room, we need to understand, we need, we need not underestimate how the, our coldness toward the things of God may hinder our family. Hey, uh, no, need, uh, no need to wonder down the line. If you get fired up for everything else but God, there's no need to wonder why your children are cold toward the things of God if you were. Instead of leading them to get fired up for their favorite team, you ought to show them what a man of God on fire looked like. And so we see their children mentioned. So that's the family that it was involved. Secondly tonight, I want you to notice the futility of this fraud. Verse number 2 says, Ananias kept back part of the proceeds and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. No doubt, again, he wanted everyone to think he was making as great a sacrifice as the others. But the Holy Spirit immediately enlightens Peter to this fraud. So first notice how stupid this was. 
It was just stupid. I don't know how long these had been mingled in the body of Christ, but certainly it had been long enough for them to, uh, to, to realize they couldn't get anything over on God. They had heard of the miracles, seen the glory of God. Everything going on in Jerusalem was a, a, a hustle and bustle about the glory of God in this moment, but yet they had conferred together to do something that was just flat out stupid. We do that sometimes, don't we? We really do. Uh, we'll do something. We know it's wrong. Even realize that we're going to get caught at it, teenagers especially. And when we do, we'll say, man, that was stupid. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It sure was. And the consequences of stupidity are really harsh right here, aren't they? They really are. Friend, the Lord knows every stupid sin we've ever committed. And they're all stupid when we realize what we're losing in that moment when we think we're gaining. Well, secondly, notice how selfish this was. Verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was so, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. In two verses, seven personal pronouns in reference to the man Ananias. Church, we'll never see revival. We'll never see the glory of God if all we are is a bunch of selfish, backslidden church members. At the very bottom of every ounce of selfishness is a heart full of sin, uh, sinful pride. We're not called to be celebrities. We're called to be servants of the Most High God. You do understand tonight. And so we, we must die to ourselves and live to Christ. Colossians 3, 3 says that we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his, only, his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on there and he gives us some more great truth. But friend, listen, Jesus Christ was the most selfless person who's ever lived. The Bible calls us to imitate Him. We're going to be imitators of Christ. We're going to have to put others above ourselves. Jesus even said in Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. If we're going to imitate Christ, we need to get off our high horse and place others above ourselves. Amen? I mean, I'm just preaching to you. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I'm free from all men, listen to what he said, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Friend, have you ever considered how you placing yourself under somebody might benefit of winning somebody to Christ? We don't want to talk talk about that. Well, let me say to you tonight, church, when it's all about you, you'll eventually get your due. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. While we're on the subject, we're going to be the... Uh, be putting, if we're going to put others first, we're going to be the kind of church God to have us to be. We're going to have to put our church first. We're going to have to put the body of Christ in her appropriate position. The Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. Uh, there's an order there. And, and if we'll do that, friend, we'll do what's best for the church. You, you do realize that not everything that you want to do is best for the church, right? Amen. I mean, that's just the truth. A selfish church will not see your prayers answered. Did you know that? Listen to James 4, 2. He says, you lust and do not have. He's speaking to believers who've been scattered abroad right there. He's talking about to the, the body of Christ. He said, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. 
You do realize tonight that selfishness will influence spiritual blindness. Selfishness will influence spiritual blindness. A selfish Christian will become blind to their own spiritual need as well as the need of others. I I really believe at the very bottom of the problem in Laodicea is selfishness. In Revelation 3 verse 17, you say, well, just listen to what it says. Jesus said this about the church. He said, you say you're rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus said, gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes salve that you may see. The word anoint, it means to smear on and throughout the scripture we find that it speaks of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And so what's God saying? What is, what is God saying to those at Laodicea? The very same thing He's saying to us tonight. That we need to look at ourselves through the eyes of the Holy Spirit of God and realize as we come before God, we need to come as spiritual beggars, friend. We're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked apart from the grace of God. And if we'll come before Him and we'll buy the gold refined in the fire that He wants to offer, we'll become profitable in the kingdom of God. He's talking about those things that will not burn up at the judgment. You know, not, we're not talking about wood, hay, and stubble. We're talking about fine gold, refined gold, the pure stuff. That's what's going to endure in eternity. We'll become profitable for the kingdom again. And then he says, and white garments. Oh, you do realize the white garments, they speak of the visible display of the imputed righteousness of Christ to a lost world. We'll begin to stand out and shine in front of those lost individuals because the glory of God illuminates our countenance and we'll, be, uh, we'll have the shame of our nakedness covered. You say, man, I can't believe Jesus is talking like that. Well, let me just go ahead. I don't want to be rude and crude, but let me me just say, I shared with my pastor this week. I didn't tell him I was going to say this. He may fire me when I get done. How many Christians, how many Christians in the world, in the house of God tonight, in this house, could be charged with spiritual indecent exposure? Walking around in your shame, in your nakedness tonight. Jesus said, why don't you buy from me garments? Why don't you buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you might be profitable and you might be pure again and have the shamefulness of your nakedness covered? God doesn't want you to be exposed as a hypocrite in the lost world. He doesn't. He doesn't want you to be exposed. And that's exactly what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. God exposed their selfishness. It was a selfish act. Thirdly, notice not only how selfish it was, but how senseless it was. It was their possession. They owned it. They didn't have to do this. No command throughout the Scripture for them to do this, to sell your house, your land, and give it all. God didn't tell them that. They wanted to do that because they saw others doing that, and they wanted to get in on what what the popularity was going in the moment. They They was hungry for the glory that was God's. That's what it was. And so I want to say to you, uh, it seems that more concerned tonight with how they appear before man than how they appear before the Lord. It's senseless to be more concerned with how your fellow man views you than how you look before a holy God. Leonard Ravenhill said this, If we displease God, does it matter whom we please? If we please God, does it matter whom we displease? I've told you before, 
We're all sinful, not the standard, but God is perfect, holy, pure, undefiled. He's the one who sees below the surface into our hearts. David cried out unto the Lord in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David obviously knew that the all-seeing eyes of God could look beyond the surface in his life to the very thoughts and intents of his heart. It's no different for us tonight, friend. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. He knows who we really are. He knows. So it was not only senseless, but fourthly, man, this is strong. It was satanic. I mean, Peter just calls it like it is. He says, why has Satan filled your heart? That's what he says. Now, I'm just going to go here and tell you, I believe these two were saved. I believe they committed the sin unto death. I believe that's what they did. I believe in this moment God killed them. And I, I mean, that's just the long and the short of it. But notice what he says. If these two were believers, he said, why has Satan filled your heart? We see incredible discernment right there from Peter. Not only incredible discernment, but boldness. But this question that Peter is asking here suggests to me it's evident that Ananias had a choice. He had a choice. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You've led him. That's what, he, what he's suggesting right here. Church, every time you step off into sin, you have a choice. Every time you put a sip of alcohol on your lips, I pray you're not, but if you do, you know what you're doing? You're not only filling your body with alcohol, you're letting Satan fill your heart. Every time you were to step off into an immoral relationship, uh, you're not only filling your body with sin, but you're filling, letting Satan fill your heart. And so in his carnality, Ananias forgot uh, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and allowed the enemy of God to build an immediate stronghold in his life. Greed. Greed. In fact, if you were to look at verse number 9, it would say they agreed together. Drop the A, what you got? Greed. Agreed together. So it's here that the importance of being spirit-filled daily is, aware, is apparent to me. Never, never been more apparent how the believer needs to be filled with the Spirit of God on a daily basis. Friend, can I say to you tonight, you, you want to know why you can't get your mind out of the gutter? Because you're not Spirit-filled. You want to know why you're not Spirit-filled? Because you won't get your mind out of the gutter. Friend, you want to focus on things that are ungodly rather than godly, and because of that, you'll stay ungodly. Amen. Uh, if you're a Christian tonight and your priority is self, number one, you, me, all about me. Friend, listen. As a believer, there's something inside of you. Now, I'm talking to the Christian right now. If you're a, if you're a Christian and you choose to walk in sin, you're going to be miserable all your life. You just are. You have to come before the Lord daily and be filled with the Spirit of God in order to walk in the ways of the Lord. But if you choose to walk in sin, friend, you're going to be miserable on the inside. If you choose to go home every evening, sit down on the couch and turn on the television, I believe old brother Stone, I believe he'd come up with that, and watch every sin come that comes on, if you'd rather do that than feast upon the Word of God, friend, you're not going to get spirit-filled. 
And I realize, friend, I realize all those things appeal to the flesh. But there's a, uh, there has to come a time in your daily walk with the Lord that you die to yourself and you get filled with the Spirit of God. And the only way you're going to do that is by getting in the Word of God and praying. And so notice what he says, verse number 4, you've conceived this thing in your heart. You had a choice. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaks. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, For the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. James 1, 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Where does that begin? In the heart. Yeah. Begins in the heart. If we'll be filled with the Spirit of God, this is profound. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. You'll get it. If you'll be filled with the Spirit of God, you'll leave no room to be filled with with the influence of Satan. Notice again what Peter says right here. You've not lied to men, but to God. Satan's influence in Ananias' life has taken him away from the truth. The devil, obviously we know, is a liar, but he'll lead you to be a liar. And I just want to point out right here, it's obvious that Peter, he's distinguishing the difference between lying to a man and lying to God. It's evident. You say, I don't get it. Peter's a man. He says, you, and Ananias has lied to him. I don't get it all either. But let me just say, it, it seems to me the initial thought here is this for me, that when you as a backslidden Christian deny what God wants to do in your life through a man of God, he's coming to you, helping you see your need, and yet you deny the fact that you even have a need? Seems like me, Peter's saying, you lying to God. A friend for you tonight, if you've had a man or a woman of God step in your life and try to help you because they've had discernment to know that you've got a real problem and yet you deny the very fact that you're even doing anything but yet you know all along you're walking in sin, friend. Listen to me. You just well to be lying to God. Amen. Do not deny. Come before the Lord with an open heart, clean, confessing your sin tonight so they might send refreshing over your soul. And so there we see that. Notice moving forward, this phrase, Satan filled your heart. Very interesting to me. It's the same language that's used in reference to Judas in John 13, 2 and in Luke 22, 3. And I, I've already told you, I believe these were saved so they could not sell their soul to the devil. I understand that. But because they were saved, they'd been sealed under the day of redemption. And instead of selling their selves, selling their soul, they sold themselves and they committed that sin unto death. You say, well, what about Judas? God killed him. No, he didn't. Judas killed himself. He hung himself. God didn't kill him. And so we see the futility in their fraud. Thirdly, notice the finality in this fraud. Can you imagine the moment of reality right here? For these two... They had told their lie and Peter's read their meter, man. I mean, he's just point, point blank uh, pulled the trigger. You know what I'm saying? And so in verse number 5, it's almost as if you could see Ananias standing before Peter. Those words enter his ears. They go straight to his heart and the Spirit of God, like a boa constrictor, instantly squeezes the life out of him. Listen to me, church. The same God who breathed into the dust and caused Adam to become a living being has the ability to suck the life out of us and take us back to the dust from which we came at any moment. He does. It's only by grace we get up and breathe today. 
Ecclesiastes 3.20, Solomon in his wisdom said, All go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Genesis 18.27, Abraham speaking unto God. He said, Behold now, I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. You, you, in order to walk before God, filled with the Spirit of God, we've got to have a, a, an accurate understanding of who we really are. We ain't much. Just dust. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 10, verse number 10, Jesus said, But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets in the very dust of your city which clings to us. We wipe off against you. The Lord told them, wipe the dust off the feet. By the way, you need to do that in here. We got new carpet. Don't be coming in here with dirty feet. Listen, why, why, would, why would Jesus say, when you start to walk out of that city, you just pick your feet up and say, hey, we're going to wipe the dust off our feet. I'll tell you why. A visual reminder to all those who were in that city who had just rejected Jesus Christ. Hey, you're going back to the dust from which you came. That's what he's telling them. They're going back to the dust. And that dust, those who die without Christ, they're not only dead, but they're damned. And so when we share the good news of Jesus Christ, friend, uh, Christ reconciled uh, God, us to God. Uh, the, the blood is not on our hands. We can wipe the dust off our feet as we share the gospel of peace. Now, five thoughts of application in closing. I'm trying to uh, hurry up right here, okay? I'm going to move quickly. First of all, we see in verse number five, opportunity is denied. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. As he is confronted by Peter, there is absolutely no opportunity for repentance. None. No opportunity for repentance. Seems that he has traded the riches of God's goodness that led him to repentance for the riches of this world that has now led to his destruction. No opportunity for repentance. Opportunity is denied. Secondly, notice eternity should be realized. Eternity should be realized. After reading this text and after hearing this sermon tonight, we ought to walk away living our lives in such a way as to be ready to meet death. At any moment. No opportunity for repentance. Church on Thursday evening, I stood beside the bedside of a 16-year-old young lady. She stepped out into eternity. Was she ready? I do not know. But I do know that because of some godly teachers at Watertown High School, that I'd had opportunity to preach to her. And I know she'd had opportunity to receive Christ. We need to be ready to meet death at any moment. There's no opportunity for repentance. Church, I don't want to step out into the hallways of heaven having lived my last days in sin backed up on God. I don't want that for you. So we see eternity should be realized, but thirdly, removal is exercised. This kind of sin had to be cut out of the camp immediately. Just like the sin of Achan that Brother Glenn talked about this morning uh, when he took of the accursed things from Jericho. If this sin had been left undealt with, it would prevent future victory. And so God absolutely removes it. Now the liberal crowd don't want to talk about this uh, because they'd say that God's a God of love. He's not a God of wrath, a God of judgment. But right here in this moment, the Spirit of God does for these two what Jesus Christ never did in His earthly physical body. He kills them. Why? We're going there in a minute, but because the holiness of God needed to be emphasized. 
And so earlier that day, these two were wrapped in covetousness, putting on a covetousness, putting on a charade, and later that evening they were both bound in the grave. That's what greed will do for you. If you're a lost man here tonight, I want to say to you, I know I've already told you, I believe these were saved, but if you're lost tonight, friend, you can put on a charade if you want to. You can lie to men, but you cannot lie to God. God looks into the very depths of your soul right now in this moment, and He knows that you're one breath away from hell. You need to get born again, saved tonight. Jesus said, I've come not to condemn you, but to save you. And He'll do it if you'll bow on your knee before the Lord, confessing your sin. Verse number 7, we see after the space of three hours that his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. You say, why three hours? Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's how long it took the Trinity to try to convince her that she was going down the wrong road. Friends, some of you in the room tonight, maybe conviction in your life is trying to convince you that you're headed down the wrong road. But you've made your mind up you're going to go. Friend, if that's you, hear me well. It may take you farther than you wanted to go. Fourthly, we see that not only is removal exercised, compliance is identified. Verse number 9 again says, they agreed together. Luke 23, 11, and 12, we see a scene like that. Uh, Herod and Pilate becoming friends through the trading of Christ. And, and it's bad enough when the wicked agreed together to stand against the Lord. But these here in Acts chapter number 5 are in the assembly of the brethren. Friend, they're counted as the family of God. And so, uh, yet they are lying to the very one who loved them and gave himself for them. And, and before we get all pious and say, well, I can't believe they'd ever do a thing like that. How could they say that? Friend, we need to back up for just a second and remember every time that we've made a promise to God that we ain't kept. Oh, Lord, if you'll just do this for me, I'll do that. God, if you'll just get me out of this now. I, listen, we all better thank God tonight for the grace of God that He kill each one of us. Amen. Lastly tonight, we see that holiness is emphasized. Holiness is emphasized. Great fear came upon all the church. A sudden awareness of the holiness of God. Friend, when's the last time you bowed on your knees and looked in the face of heaven? You open up the book and you look in Isaiah 6 and you see a scene like that. And the holiness of God is emphasized in that moment. You, you, you just can't comprehend it. Leviticus 20 verse 7, God said, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Peter would later recall that truth in 1 Peter 1. And he says, but as he which hath called you is holy. Every one of us sitting in the house tonight, I'm not a Calvinist, you know that, but God has called each one of you in His body. The Spirit of God has drawn you unto Himself. The Father, no man come to the Father. The Spirit drawn you, you got That's where it starts. God initiates this whole deal. He did it at Calvary. He did it before the foundation of the world. And so we see right here that God, that Peter's saying that God who has called you is holy. We ought to be holy in all manner of conversation. Young or old, our church will only be as holy as our homes. Our church will only be as holy as our homes. 
You say, I don't believe that. Friend, you can't help but drag your junk in here every time you walk through the door. Our church will only be as holy as our homes are. So I ask you tonight, how holy is your home? Friend, I'm not going to stand before you and be a hypocrite. My home's got to have some work. I think all our homes need some work. We can never get close enough to God. Now watch this right here and I'm done. Verse number 5. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. It's the same word usage found in Revelation 4.10 in reference to the 24 elders falling down in worship before the throne, casting their crowns before the Lord. There in Revelation 4.10... It's completely voluntary. Man, they want to worship. Hear this bowing. It's, it's not voluntary at all. The Spirit of God just sucked the life out of him. And yet, involuntarily, he submits to the Lord right there. Yep. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see that in Revelation 4.10, that bowing before the Lord, there it's voluntary. Here in Acts 5, it's not. There in Revelation 4, it's because they want to. Here it's not. There in Revelation 4, it's because they do it regularly. Here it may be that they had quickly forgotten how. Have you? How long has it been since you publicly, openly bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ unashamed that you belong to Him and simply rested at His feet? I love that song that we sing. Maybe you want to sing it tonight, I don't know, but a line in it says, Bowing here, I find my rest. We all got problems, church. But when you bow before the Lord and you seek the face of God, as He's done so many times in my life, He'll do in yours. He'll send the sweet presence of God to hover over you and inside of you influence you. Now tonight, I just want to ask you, how many sinful, stupid, selfish, senseless, and even satanic Things are hindering your walk with God. Why don't you lay them at the feet of the Lord, bowing in humble submission?